Well, good morning. This morning, we are wanting one thing for you. We're wanting to encourage you to take one next step into the flow of God's love, where He can fill you up, and He can overflow your life and spill out onto the lives of others around you. That's, that's our goal this morning. That's what we're shooting for. When I was in 8th uh, grade, I was a basketball player. Actually, pretty good one. You might not know that to look at myself. Back in 8th grade, not so good anymore. Uh, but I had a, a teammate uh, on my, on my uh, junior high team named, uh, we'll, call him, we'll call him Eric, because that was his name. And uh, Eric was six feet, six inches tall. And, um, and so he was like a head taller than all the rest of the eighth graders. But what really made Eric stand out, what really made him hard to hide in a crowd, was his bright orange hair. And Eric wasn't uh, super coordinated at the time. So Eric was playing on the B team. And I remember I was sitting on the bench when Eric checked in to the B game, uh, second half of the B game. And immediately, Eric, like, comes up and picks up a loose ball at midcourt, and he's got a clear path to the hoop. And he just takes off, and the defense is just stunned. They're watching in disbelief and not even chasing after him, really. And he goes up to lay up the basket, it clangs off the backboard, off the rim, and then he misses. But no fear, the defense hasn't gotten down there yet. So he grabs the rebound, and he puts up another shot. By now, the, the other team has kind of made their way down the court, and they're standing around him, and he misses that shot too. And again, big six feet six, red hair, and, and, but he, never fear, he can you know, just stand there and reaches above everybody else. So he grabs a, another rebound, and he puts up another shot. And I don't remember if it was three or four shots that he took before he finally finds the bottom of the net. And he turns around, and he's pumping his fists, and he's celebrating... And as he turns around, he just looks, and he sees all his teammates standing at a half court with this horrific look on their faces. Yeah, Eric had scored for the wrong team. In basketball, it's really... Yeah, that's about what it was. I mean, this red face just kind of went white as a ghost, right? And, And basketball is really important that we know which hoop we're shooting at. Especially if you're 6'6 with red hair. But this is also true in life. Especially in the life of the church. As a family on mission together, we need to know what hoop are we shooting at. How do we know when we're successfully accomplishing the mission that God has given us? Is it when our attendance grows? Is it when more people sign up for a Bible study or or to go on a mission trip? Or maybe it's when we start a new campus. You know, none of those are bad goals. These are all good goals, but they are not the ultimate hoop we're shooting at. As someone interested in following Jesus, how do you know when you're doing a good job of following Jesus? As a church, we need to know how to determine whether we're successfully accomplishing the mission God has given us. And to do this, we've uh, established a set of what we're calling missional marks. There are marks that are used to help us measure whether or not we're actually helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. These marks tell us what hoop to shoot at. And they represent the outcomes that we expect to see in the lives of those who who join us on mission as that mission is being accomplished. 
What's more, Jesus said that these marks are the measure for the life that God really wants for all of us to live. And really, it's the life that all of us are desperate to live. So even if you're not on mission with Orchard or on mission with Jesus, you can still use these marks to help you determine whether you're moving in a direction that's leading you to the most fulfilling, most satisfying life possible. But as a church, we're most interested in what these marks have to say about who we're becoming as a family on mission together and whether we're being successful. And so for us, we're, we're wanting to see five things show up in, a, in our lives and in the life of the church. And I like to call these five things the five loves. The first one is, is to be loved, where we are receiving God's love and living daily as his beloved children this is the first love and all the other loves flow out of this one they help us to love god back the second mark to love ourselves number three number four to love our neighbors and five to love our enemies when we love god back and love others as ourselves we not only fulfill what god or what jesus called the greatest commandments but we discover that path the abundant life that he promised And over the next few weeks, we're going to begin to put some skin on what these loves look like. We'll consider what does the mark of God's love look like in our lives? What does love require? What does loving God require? What does loving ourselves or our neighbors or our enemies require? And some of you may be thinking, we talk an awful lot about love at Orchard Hill Church. I just want you to know that we believe that you cannot overteach love, especially the love of God. And before we go any further, we just need to just make sure we're straight on one thing. God's love for the world cannot be achieved until it is first received. Achieving the missional marks is not something that we can do on our own power. It's only possible when we love out of the overflow of God's love for us. Everything flows out of that first love, being loved by God. So we have to learn how to move ourselves into the flow of God's love and live there. Jesus' close friend, John, he writes it this. He writes this. He says it this way. He says, and so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved us first. After doing ministry with Jesus and doing life with Jesus, John says, I have no doubts about this one truth. God is love. And John adds, I believe with all my heart that that God's love is made complete when we rely on His love, when we live in God's love. This is what makes us like Jesus. God's love fills our lives and overflows out of our lives onto others around us. Our ability to love exists because God first loves us. 
Someone once asked the great theologian Karl Barth, what was the most profound truth to ever impact his life? He answered, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You guys know the song. You can sing it. Sing it better than me. But the truth is, for many Christians, it's actually easier, easier to believe in God's existence than to believe and receive God's love for themselves. I wonder if that's true for some of you. I know it's true in my life at times. I was watching a movie with my son uh, Eli this summer, Perks of Being a Wallflower. And in it, uh, the young high school student asks his teacher, he says, why is it that nice people choose the wrong people to date? Happens all the time. The teacher, Mr. Anderson, replies, I think it's because we accept the love we think we deserve. And the young man asks, can we make them know they deserve more? And Mr. Anderson replies, we can try. I couldn't stop thinking about this scene and about these words. We accept the love we think we deserve. And it dawned on me, this is exactly why sometimes I have trouble receiving God's love. It's why I don't turn to God sometimes when I think I should. See, I was taught at an early age that God was angry with me and that that as soon as I did something bad, He was going to punish me and send me to hell. And if you knew some of the sins of my past, or if you knew some of the thoughts that go on in my mind and in my heart, you'd understand why there are times when I run away from God rather than run to Him. It's really hard to accept the love you know that you don't deserve. So my response to this dilemma was to be really good. I tried to make myself more lovable. Somehow I could win or earn God's love and win His acceptance, His approval. And when I would perform well, when I would be praying and I would be reading the Bible regularly or I'd be serving in some way or I wasn't sinning as much, then I thought, well, God must really love me. And when I wasn't performing so well and I was falling into more sin, then I was left to wonder, does God love me at all? And what I discovered was that when I make receiving God's love about my performance, I'm left with a bunch of rules and a bunch of comparisons, and a bunch of sad attempts to try to justify the the amount of love that I deserve, or to manipulate some sort of feeling of God's love in my life. And what I end up with, I end up filling uh, filling up with, with fear, or with pride. And then what overflows out of my life is self-righteousness, or anxiety, and insecurity, or dread. It's not love. What about you? Suppose this picture represents God's love for you, full of God's love, never empties. And these containers, these cups, represent the amount of love you think you deserve. Which cup are you? How much love do you think you deserve from God? Maybe you uh, subscribe to Daily Scriptures. And you read the Bible regularly, maybe you read it through every year, you're you're praying in the morning, Uh, you follow the Ten Commandments, you obey all of God's rules for you, you even help Dave Bartlett across the street when you see him struggling. I told you I might be going to hell, so that's a... 
But maybe you think you're the stein, right? And so God pours and He fills you up because you deserve quite a bit of God's love. You're performing so well. Or maybe your stein's been filling up with a little something other than God's love too much lately. You get my drift and you think, well, maybe I'm not that good. But you know what? I'm still a good person and I'm nice to the people I work with. I shower. I wear deodorant. I even prayed for that guy when he told me he had some bad news in his life, right? And, and uh, I don't mess, maybe read the Bible every day, but I believe what the Bible says, and I know some of that, and I pray when people are in need. Maybe you're this eight-ounce cup. What if it's been a while since you've even thought about God? What if you don't ever really read the Bible? You've never opened it. What if... Uh, Maybe the last time you prayed, you can't even remember. And you've been lying maybe to your parents or living a life of lies. Or maybe you got angry and in your, you lost your temper and you hurt somebody at work or at home. Or you cheated on a test. Or worse, you cheated on your spouse. How much love do you get then? Do you get like this little eyedropper full? You know, put a little drop here in this thimble. Oh, that's full. Is that you? Truth is, none of us deserve God's love. We've all sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. We deserve death, not love. Not even a thimbleful. That's the truth that's taught in the Bible. And we can get angry, and we can get defensive about this, and we can try to justify ourselves, or we can try to just... Leave God in the background and walk away from God in our anger and our frustration. I don't need any of that. Or we can try to win and and earn His approval, try to win it back. The truth is none of that will change the truth of what we do and don't deserve. Is it any wonder that some of us might struggle to receive the love we know we don't deserve? But who said anything about deserving it. The good news of the Gospel is that even though we don't deserve it, Jesus poured out His blood to purchase our forgiveness. He loved us first. He removed the lid of sin, right? So now we can receive the love that God has been pouring out on us since the beginning of creation, the gift of creation that He will continue pouring out on us throughout eternity. What we could not achieve, God made a way for us to receive. And the most important thing that we can do is to learn how we receive this love and then to live in God's love for us. Keep ourselves open to receiving it. This is priority number one. This is your highest spiritual responsibility. John gives us a clue on how we can do this in his writings. You know, John often called himself the one who Jesus loved. Notice, he didn't call himself the one who loved Jesus. He was the one who Jesus loved. He kept his focus on Jesus' love for him. And as he did this, he came to this startling conclusion. He says this. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. John urges us, get your eyes off your performance Leave all of these containers here in the front behind and focus on that picture. 
See the God love lavishes on you, meaning His extravagant, unrestrained, limitless love, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I was talking with Johnny Rogers about this concept that John's trying to express to us of this love that God lavishes. And Johnny said, you know, it reminds me of something. Take a look at this video. See if this can remind you of God's lavished love on us. Isn't that awesome? The flow of water is constant. It just never stops. It just keeps filling up that bucket over and over again. Then the bucket overflows and the the kids come running because they can't resist the big splash. But they've got to get under it. Sometimes it might be a little scary for some of those kids. They need a little bit of encouragement to move under it. This is us. We need to look for this fountain of love, this never-ending fountain, and get ourselves under it. And let His love fill us up until it tips over and overflows out of our lives, onto the lives of other people around us. And then we need to do it again and again and again. John says this is the mark of someone on mission with God. This is John's message to us. So how do we do this? How do we begin to get ourselves into the flow and keep ourselves in the flow of God's love? I think figuring this out is our life's work. I've put some suggestions in the bulletin I hope you'll take home and and look look at and see maybe if there's something there that resonates with you. But this morning, I want to talk about three ways real quick that I'm learning about to put myself in the flow. And the first is really just as John instructs us and tells us, he says, stop focusing on your performance and focus on God's. I think this is the first and most important discipline that we can learn to cultivate. Stop focusing on what we're doing or not doing for God and start focusing on what God is doing, paying attention to how He is loving you and how He is loving others around you. This doesn't come really naturally for me. And although I believe that God is always present, He's always reaching out to us in love, I've learned that He's not going to force Himself on me. So I have to push aside distractions and intentionally look for God's love and practice this. And so there's two things right now that are helping me to do this. The first is I actually ask God several times throughout the day, God, help me to look for you. Help me to practice your presence, to look for your presence in my life and look for your love. I even set up a reminder in my phone and it goes off four or five times a day. It just says, look for God. And it goes off and I say, I stop. God, help me right now to look for you and to look for your love. And the second thing is I try to keep a thank you journal. It's right here. I try to write every day three ways that I have seen God love me. I've seen Him love others. And I write these down and I thank Him for it. The goal is to write down three every day. I don't do this every day. Some days I miss. Sometimes I miss a bunch of days. And other days I I write a bunch and catch up. The point is, as I look it over, I can see how God is lavishing His love on me. I've just seen it all summer long. God knows my love language. There's nothing better than than spending a summer in the mountains than spending summer in the mountains with your family. And I I was able to do that. Spent two and a half weeks out in the mountains this summer. 
and I got to hike with my wife and with my kids. And I got to hike to Hallett's Peak with some amazing uh, students and leaders. And every day it was like God was just filling up my bucket. That's my love language. And then one day I was uh, looking to get a little alone time with God um, before caravan was starting. And so I decided to hike up to Gem Lake alone. And I get to the lake, which is surrounded by all of these rock walls and these formations up there. And I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to scramble up to the top of one of those rock piles. I'm just going to sit and I'm going to be really still and see if I can hear God maybe whisper something to me. And just as I started climbing, there's like a flash of lightning behind me and this thunder that just booms through the canyon and right through those walls. It just echoes back and forth off the walls of that canyon surrounding that lake. It was like the loudest, coolest thing I have ever heard. It was awesome. And I just started to like laugh to myself because it was like, I could just picture God saying, hey, Jeff, can you hear me now? (laughs) I hear you, (laughs) you know, but it was like, I love you, Jeff. Sometimes God just sneaks up on us, whether we're, we're working or whether we're playing, and He just drenches us in ways that are just obvious. Our buckets overflow with gratitude and with worship and love. There are countless moments every day where God is pouring out His love on us in everyday circumstances, everyday situations, and we have to learn to pay attention to what God is doing. Jesus did this regularly. He had a habit of paying attention to everyday life, to watching the birds of the air and how how God took care of them, and watching the fields, how they were covered with flowers and, and dressed so beautifully. And he would say, how much more does your Father in heaven love you? Pay attention to how God is loving you in everyday moments, and then do whatever you can to join in that. Maybe it's to just say, thank you, God. Maybe it's to worship Him. Maybe it's to invite a friend. But the first thing we need to do is stop focusing on what we're doing and pay attention to what God is doing. Sometimes we look for God, but He seems hard to find. And we can't tell what He's up to. I'm searching desperately for that fountain of love, and I'm waiting forever for Him to fill my bucket, and it's nothing happening. In fact, maybe my bucket's even filling up with grief or with pain or with frustration. And I'm tempted to like just take my bucket somewhere else. Jesus encourages us in these moments. He says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And the way we remain in Jesus when we can't feel his love or see anything good growing out of our circumstances is to remember that Jesus remains in us. And this is the second thing I'm learning to trust God's love, that it is with me, that He is with me. To remain in Him means to continue to seek and trust His love, even when we can't feel it or see it at work around us. Earlier this summer, I was uh, kind of on the stage of just feeling burnt out. I was exhausted, I had a huge to do list, I was walking with some people and some hard things. And I was just kind of overwhelmed by all that was going on. And I laid down on my floor one morning and I just said, God, what do you want me to do? And uh, it wasn't long before one word popped in my head. It was rest. And I said, no, that can't be right, God. (laughs) I've got too much to do, right? My to-do list is too long and I've got to get this stuff done. I don't know how it's going to get done. Sat there for a second. There must be something else. And I heard it again. Rest. 
I started arguing with God. I said, you know, I don't rest well. That's not what I want to do. I want to get this stuff done. And if I stop, then that means I'm going to have to acknowledge that I have some limitations, some weaknesses. And then that would mean that I would actually have to trust that things are going to get done. To trust that things are going to happen the way you want them to. And it just all of a sudden just washed over me. Am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to rest in His promises? So I rested. And I was refreshed. And things worked themselves out. We remain in Jesus' love by continuing to ask for His help, listening to His guidance, and responding with trust to trust His promises. Trust what you know is true about His love. Trust that He loves you enough to tell you the best thing to do to help get you into the flow of God's love. Now, I don't always hear a word in my head. There's many times when I don't hear anything. It's just silence. And the silence, when it goes on for a while, can kind of make my heart grow a little bit cold or a little bit numb. And uh, I'm trusting in God's love. And I'm focusing on His performance, not my own. But my heart is growing cold. I'm fighting hard to believe these truths in my head, but it's just not moving to my heart. And I'm learning that the third thing that helps me to stay in that flow in these times is music. To actually listen or to sing of God's love helps me to stay in the flow. I'm learning a lot from Dave Bartlett. Dave Bartlett had shared with our staff a few weeks ago that uh, when the great sadness hit he and his family, he had to learn how to keep receiving God's love in the midst of this. He had to learn how to keep paying attention to how God wanted to love him and believing that God wanted to love him through this. He said it took him two years to get back to the point of actually feeling God's love in his presence. And I remember one of the things that Dave did during this time regularly was he'd go out and visit the gravesite and he'd take his iPad with him And he would listen to worship music. And sometimes he would actually sing to his grandkids, knowing that Ben was rolling his eyes at the sound of his singing voice. Singing has a way of moving things from our head to our heart. Singing in the Psalms was both an expression of faith and a vehicle for strengthening our faith. As the band sings this song of how God chases us down with His reckless love, stopping at nothing until we're found, I encourage you, let these words just lavish you with God's love. Soak up this truth until it begins to pour out of you and this song starts to fill your heart and you can sing it back to God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after that lost sheep until he finds it? And then when he finds it, he joyfully puts it over his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep! I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven for one sinner who repents than for 99 righteous persons that do not need to repent.
don't deserve it. Still 